Warning, this podcast contains explicit language and should not be listened to by people who are offended by words. Today's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by the new castration service for pedophile clergy, Friar Tux. Do you have a diocese filled with child rapists? In other words, do you have a diocese? Well, thanks to the widespread availability of impartial information, it's getting harder and harder to talk new recruits into dedicating their lives to the celibate contemplation of an imaginary superhero. So why waste perfectly good priests by transferring them to other parishes right before they can be investigated for sexual misconduct when you can just cut their nuts off? Snip it in the bud with Friar Tux, because they're not supposed to use those things anyway. And now, the scathing atheist. I'm Dan Errol, author of Parenting Without God, and I can assure you that we did, in fact... Evolve from Filthy Monkey Man. Uh, it's Thursday! <laughs> it's August 28th. And I'm 0.3 bar away from 33.3 bar. I have no illusions. I'm Ethan Wright, and from Ruthless Plunder, New York, New York. And Toothless Wonder, Podunk, Georgia, this is the Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, Mark Driscoll gets outwitted by Timothy Dalton. Worst one. (laughs) We'll make boop jokes. And no babies were harmed during Noah's ice bucket challenge. No, no, they were all already aborted. But first, the diatribe. year at college. I'm in Anthropology 101 and the professor's talking about different systems of magic that various cultures believed in throughout history when a girl behind me chimes in with a question. Now she's baffled and she strikes me as the easily baffled type, but she just can't understand how these people could keep believing in magic if it didn't work. She says, and I believe this is a quote, how could they keep believing in it if it didn't do nothing? And the professor's stumbling a bit, no doubt keenly aware of the gaudy four-inch crucifix hanging around her neck, so I offered an answer in his stead. I said, why don't you just pray to Jesus that he answers that question for you? And nobody laughed except for the professor who was clearly trying not to. And a couple of the students give me little pissy looks and stuff, but honestly, I think a lot of them didn't even realize what I was saying. I wouldn't be surprised if a few of them just mistook it for an honest suggestion. They're like, well, if anybody'd know, it'd be Jesus. And that brings us to a pretty common refrain among non-believers, that even the most ardently religious person is still an atheist about all the religions except for theirs. And yet somehow a person who can easily see why Zeus and Zoroaster are nonsense can't apply that same standard to their own faith. Now, for a lot of people, that is the spark that leads to atheism. You know, you suddenly realize that everyone on earth thinks that their religion is the right one, You know, everyone throughout history took their religion as seriously as you took yours, and to a person, they were all wrong except the ones that agreed with you. You know, just stating it like that makes it clear how indefensibly stupid it is, and yet most people are willing to just kind of shove that under the cerebral rug and carry on believing that they were just so damn fortunate they happened to be born in the only historical era and geographical area that believed in the real omnipotent non-corporeal space dictator. The more intellectually rigorous believers try to spackle over this problem with some nonsense about how all the cultures are worshiping the same God, but but their view of that God is colored by their particular geopolitical historical circumstances or whatever. And, and sure, that makes for some pithy feel-good bumper stickers, but ultimately, what's the difference between that and nothing? 
It's like solving for X and getting Y. It's like saying, I've proven the Loch Ness Monster exists, but it turns out it's a non-aquatic, bipedal, bearded hominid that calls himself Frank. Think about the abdication of intellect that goes into this claim. There are dozens of mutually exclusive claims, at least dozens, that the various faiths make about the nature of God. You know, hell, some religions don't even have a God. Even the patchouli-scented idea that everyone's interpreting God in their own way is incompatible with the majority of the world's religions. It's a bullshit, ad hoc attempt at an answer that actually further complicates a question that didn't make any goddamn sense in the first place. And ultimately, isn't that what they want? A, a complicated question? For some reason, religious people are perfectly happy not knowing the answer as long as they know there's a question. They like to pretend that the fact that they haven't answered it in the thousands of years they've been trying is proof that it's deep and mysterious instead of proof that it's a poorly formed, meaningless fucking question. What is God? It's like asking how unicorns fuck. Actually, it isn't. You know, the, the, the what is God question is so singularly stupid that my powers of analogy fail me because basically... Unicorns would probably fuck like regular horses. You know, even a nonsense question like that, we can at least define some parameters, find a starting point. But for fuck's sake, God isn't even a real fictional character. Think about it. Even if we narrow it down just to the Christian God, we'd still be using a croissant for a dildo. He's a different deity in every third book of the Bible, and sometimes he displays contradictory attributes in the span of a single sentence. And yet somehow there are whole institutions devoted to studying the question of God and his nature. Worldwide, we've probably got the same number of people contemplating and studying and arguing about God as we have working on all the real questions put together. Many of them are educated, intelligent people spending whole lifetimes studying the mating habits of elves. Think about the massive waste of resources, both human and otherwise, that goes into trying to solve this imaginary problem. How many diseases could we cure with that? How many social problems could we solve? How many anything? It doesn't fucking matter. Anything we were doing would be more useful. How many novelty truck scrotums could we manufacture? Look, until you've proven God exists, or at least given us some reason to think it's remotely likely, there is no point in asking any more questions about it. You know, it has, that hasn't slowed him down, obviously. Hell, most of them are willing to skip past proving he exists, skip past debating his nature, skip past contemplating his purpose, and go straight to telling other people what he wants them to do with their genitals. But when people start debating this or that God claim, what I hear is, no, cause Jesus could totally beat up Ganesha because he would get infinite reincarnate powers. You know, so it's amazing to think that there are whole schools, whole fields of study, whole types of advanced degrees that could cease to exist tomorrow. If these people were just willing to cut through their Gordian knot with Occam's razor. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. And joining me for headlines tonight is my unfortunate opponent on opening week of the Fantasy Football League of Sinister Secularists, <laughs> Heath Enright. Heath, are you ready to start your season with a crushing defeat? <laughs> Fair enough. You know, wouldn't want me outscoring the entire league again. <laughs> Imagine it'd be a little intimidating. I'll spot you oh, guys no, no, I'm, I'm fine with you outscoring the league as long as you lose when you play me like you did in the postseason last year. Anyway, quick before Heath <laughs> can point out that I drafted Josh Gordon. Well, uh, Josh Gordon. <laughs> we'll get to our lead story in which Mark Driscoll is helping us move up the iTunes religious podcast rankings one disgraced preacher at a time by being a motherfucking Bond villain. 
<laughs> so the like first the bad guy. Oh my god, the first phase of his evil plot to destroy the planet was thwarted when he got caught using church tithes to purchase copies of his own book in an effort to manipulate the New York Times bestseller list. That happened. Yep. Plan B of phase one was thwarted when he got caught raising money to plant food in Ethiopia and then using the money for whatever the hell he felt like. Slave underpants. And no. now even his evil henchmen are turning on him with no fewer than 21 employees <laughs> filing charges of abusive conduct against him just last week. He has henchmen. He'd force <laughs> us to just stand there and let the good guy, you know, punch us in the face and steal our gun every time. Like in line. One by, it's demoralizing. Loser. He never gave us time to do target practice. We would always miss by a mile. Now, the evangelical community that once proudly embraced this unflinching misogynist just can't abandon ship fast enough. Now that his, the new scandals from his Mars Hill church are coming out so fast that we actually had to roll three news stories all into one headline to avoid dedicating this entire headline segment to fucked up stuff that he did. He's been removed from a number of speaking engagements over the past several months, and even the churches that he helped found are now asking their parishioners to kind of duck down below the pew and be quiet until he leaves should he come knocking on the door. Okay, he's good. You always say he's gone. Turn the music back on way before the guy's actually gone. You have to hear that. You, you know? want him to know. Walk away with the Charlie Brown drama. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Now, his latest scandal, and yes, we haven't even gotten to that yet, revolves around $3 million that his church raised this year to hold a massive Jesus festival in Seattle. Despite the success of the fundraiser, the event was canceled without notice. And by without notice, I mean that the date it was supposed to happen on has already come and gone, and they still haven't said anything about it since they cashed the checks. Huh. That's a... Little, little off, yeah. Now, I should say that if I had money to just throw around, I'd probably spend $3 million to not have a Jesus festival, too. So, admittedly, this is not the worst thing the dude's <laughs> ever done. Idea, right? Still, like you're saying, raising millions of dollars to do something and then not doing it is the kind of thing that would be illegal as long as you aren't a church. <laughs> right, it's not, it's not fraud. The victims are slow-witted and naive. That's faith. Right. That's totally <laughs> different Totally thing. different five-letter word that starts with F. And in really short bucket list news, according to the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, the very successful campaign to raise money for ALS research known as the Ice Bucket Challenge looks a lot like China's one-child policy. <laughs> so no more donations from the Catholics. <laughs> Now Viral Fundraiser is organized through the ALS Association, which happens to support one study paid for by one donor that uses embryonic stem cells. Right. And as a punishment for not refusing that donation, the diocese is diverting any money they raise for ALS to a more Bible-friendly researcher from now on. You know, whatever. Well, at least the decisions about the most promising lines of scientific research are in the hands of theologians where they belong, right? <laughs> Right. If, if you really know how to read between the lines, there's a lot of information about zygotic meiosis in the Bible, so I'm glad these guys are on it. Seriously, in this particular case, okay, whatever, the Catholics' choice to fund research with adult stem cells, it's not that big of a deal. But it illustrates an asinine principle at play here that could lead to far worse, horribly unethical decisions in, in a future case. And has, yeah. <laughs> and has in past cases. Embryonic stem cells are, are at least slightly more useful to scientists than adult cells, but it's not a huge difference. But what if it was? What, what would happen if embryonic stem cells were capable of curing AIDS and Ebola, but adult We'd have Catholics protesting against the Nobel Prize winner, is what would happen. Right. Right, which would be tough for them to do since their you know, protesting Nobel Prize winner's gear has probably gotten dusty since they last used it in 2010 when they gave one to the in vitro fertilization <laughs> guy. Right, protesting the Nobel again. Right. The whole, the whole issue is absurd. Though. 
I mean, can, can you murder your own child by losing an erection? Uh, right. If the girl swallows, is that cannibalism? <laughs> Infanticide? Both? <laughs> absurd questions, right? But, but most importantly, are Catholics under the impression that scientists, like, every so often go abort babies to keep these labs running? I mean, <laughs> yes, that's, that's crazy. what they think. I mean, of course they don't. It's not this grisly thing like you're picturing. They scavenge dumpsters like a civilized fucking person. I mean... <laughs> Actually, no, seriously, my, my, my sister honestly believes that there are embryo farms, like in the Matrix. <laughs> Not surprised. So, so ALS stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, right? Yeah. Do you think people with multiple sclerosis make fun of people with ALS? Like, oh, wow. what do you got, just the, just the one sclerosis? I, <laughs> I have two or more. It's, it's no big deal. <laughs> Must be fucking nice having just that one sclerosis. Oh, wow. Sclerotic shit, dog, dude. I love it. Bitch, I got more abnormal hardening of body tissue on my dick. More like encephalomyelitis disseminata. <laughs> disseminata. It's awful. And in live and let diaphragm news tonight, in yet another attempt to kowtow to the anti-contraceptive extremist, President Obama is now offering to personally remove all the sperm from the vaginal canals of postcoital women who work for Christian businesses with his bare fucking hands if that will make them happy. And it won't. Well, I mean, gloves are a deal breaker for lots of women. I, right. I made similar offers. They did not go over well. <laughs> Plan C, you know, like... With or without gloves. Now, the latest exponent added to this series of bullshit concessions coming from a response to the claim that signing a form saying they object to the use of contraception is a substantial burden on one's religious beliefs. <laughs> yes, officially stating your beliefs is a burden on those beliefs. Now, here's their faux logic. If they sign the form, then their employees will be able to use that form to get the contraception from somewhere else that they don't want to give them. So they'll have made it possible for their employees to get the thing that they're refusing to give them, which means that they're inadvertent baby murderers. You, you follow me? But it what doesn't is, really matter what the insurance covers. If you pay your employees in money, right. uh, then you've enabled them to go get birth control if they want. So it, right. Kind of a moot point. Start paying them in vouchers or something. Now, despite the spurious nature of this objection, the penis-wielding members of the Supreme Court said, yeah, fuck those sluts, and pretended that this was a valid argument. So the compromise to the compromise of the compromise now states that the employees have to sign a form saying that their employers object to their aberrant sex-having lifestyle, which would end wow. the argument if the employers were actually motivated by what they claim to be motivated by. But which since their actual be. goal is the complete commandeering of their employees' genitals, the next White House compromise is already scheduled for early October. <laughs> and in Hot Biscuits news, Oklahoma Archbishop Paul Coakley filed a lawsuit last week against Adam Daniels and his Satanist church that I definitely can't pronounce, alleging the devil worshippers intend to use stolen consecrated communion wafers during the Black Mass demonic ritual they're planning. Coakley <laughs> offers no evidence that they stole anything, but claims, you know, the only way for a non-Catholic to get the real Jesus cookies with the medicine in them <laughs> is by theft or trickery. <laughs> Plus, they're besmirching the good name of our symbolic cannibalism by right. doing it wrong. Backwards <laughs> so and stuff. It's not funny. All right, so let's just mark our calendars here. This is the last day that anyone ever gets to take religion serious. Are you fucking kidding me? 
when they talk about indicting a ham sandwich in legal discourse, I always thought that was hyperbole. But here we've actually got the judiciary being called into action because of a fucking magic cracker. Unbelievable. The level of wasted time and energy spent appeasing these idiots is absolutely astounding. I mean, just by filing the suit. Coakley was not only able to get an actual judge to stop working on real things and deal with this nonsense, he even got the guy to issue an injunction against a cookie owner. Judge Brian Dixon heard about the complaint and immediately issued an order banning Daniels from, quote, concealing, damaging, destroying, or removing the waivers from Oklahoma County. (laughs) And you stay in town, too, demon boy. (laughs) We want to talk to you as well after we question the bait good. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I want one of these fucking crackers so bad now. Somebody send me a fucking Jesus cracker, please. Seriously. Anybody who has a consecrated wafer guy, email me. We'll work something out. I promise I will publicly desecrate the fuck out. I will go PZ Myers on that cracker, but I'll do it with enough advance notice to get a legal injunction issued, and then I will brazenly carry the goddamn cracker across state lines just to make them arrest me for it. Go to the four corners and just keep crossing right. all eight, <laughs> eight lines. I'll just find the nearest cop and turn myself in, fully confessed to cracker napping. This, I swear to you, upon all that is unholy, somebody just get me one of these fucking crackers. <laughs> Despite protests by religious groups against the right to religious exercise, in this case, the event is still scheduled to take place on September 21st at the Oklahoma Civic Center. However, they probably won't be able to summon the Antichrist now that Daniels has remanded the wafers to Catholic custody in order to get this suit dropped. Even though he clearly would have won that case. I mean, as you can see, Your Honor, the wafers aren't even consecrated. Go ahead, check. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Turns on a black light. Lady Gath. (gasps) Rabble, rabble, rabble. Order in the court. Unbelievable. I need a recess, Your Honor. And in Ebola cereal <laughs> news no tonight, international aid worker, Christian do-gooder, and white guy Dr. Kent Branley was declared free of the Ebola virus last week thanks to the tireless effort of dedicated scientists and doctors. Upon his release, he thanked all of the people that aided in his recovery, but he saved his biggest kudos for the guy that created Ebola in the first place just to be a jerk. <laughs> oh, Obama. <laughs> thinking God, but yeah, okay. Thanks, Obama. I honestly don't want to fuck with this guy too much because, look, no matter how how you slice the pie, the the doctor that risks his life to treat Ebola-stricken Africans for no compensation is one of the good guys. But (laughs) I think this is one of those rare instances where even a devout Christian can be forgiven for telling God to fuck off with all these weird diseases and (laughs) shit. Right. It's like getting held underwater by a bully until you almost drown, and, and then... Thanking him for letting go at the last second right, and not yeah. being a complete psycho murder. At least he flushed. I mean, come on. Now, many people have noticed the <laughs> suspicious fact that this experimental drug that saved Dr. Brantley just suddenly appeared on the scene as soon as we had a rare case of Caucasoid Ebola, noting how much Africans enjoy it when we try our experimental drugs out on them first. <laughs> yeah, they, like, lo- they love that. Come on, right? Good history in that department. Uh, yeah, right. And in Schindler's Lisp news, according to atheist podcast quote mine Brian Fisher, yes, he said something again this week. <laughs> God is just about to have ISIS enslave the United States as punishment for our radically progressive homosexual humanhood laws. Of course he is. On a recent episode of his radio show, Focal Point, <laughs> Fisher referenced ISIS and then claimed, quote, 
God will use the pagan armies of Allah to discipline the United States for our debauchery, end quote. Of course That's he what's did. Now, I, I got to say, honestly, after reading Jeremiah, that does sound like exactly the kind of thing that God would do. So he's read his <laughs> book. And that's why, by the way, that we love so much the Brian Fishers and Gordon Klingenschmitz of the world, because all they have to do to sound that stupid is take the Bible seriously. <laughs> yeah, so it does seem that Fisher based his remarks on a thorough analysis of the Bible and, I guess, the Holocaust. Um, remember what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Those people were just like the gay Gestapo is today. He said gay that. Gestapo. So now, now that gay couples are getting tax breaks, they've decided to start raping angels in those states. Right. Not angels of the opposite sex, neither. No, no, the bad kind Savages. of angel rape. And God's <laughs> so pissed about it, but unfortunately, you know, still rationing his brimstone or whatever. So instead, <laughs> he is elected to use an army of uneducated zealots <laughs> armed with Soviet-era Russian military surplus... <laughs> To invade a country that has aircraft carrier carriers, enough nukes to destroy Alderaan and the Atlantic Ocean for a moat. Yeah, good plan, God. Why don't you part the Atlantic Ocean? They can just walk right across. <laughs> good luck with that, yeah. And in Gazoon Height of Hypocrisy News tonight, a high school student in Tennessee is claiming she was reprimanded in class for saying, bless you, when another student sneezed. Given the complete lack of important events in our nation and world this week, a full of shit teenager pretending to be persecuted was deemed worthy of national news attention. Absolutely ridiculous. So it's not even a religious issue here. No. The girl obviously did one of those extremely disruptive ADD, God bless yous, you know, got in trouble. And now she's trying to claim that the now meaningless presence of the word God in the phrase makes it somehow a constitutional free exercise issue. Right. And I yelled hellfire in a crowded theater. That's helpful. That's – I'm like <laughs> – Right, That's right. Like, yeah, obviously she went in prepared to do this, had talked to her preacher about how she had the constitutional right to say God bless you in the middle of a math test. or what. Anyway, but of course, considering the fact that a teenager would never lie about school disciplinary actions, and yes, mom, they really did suspend me for being too good at math that one time, we can only assume that the teacher is a godless communist hell-bent on a world covered ankle-deep in aborted fetuses. Obviously. <laughs> I don't know, but with, with those third trimesters, you're talking probably knee deep. Right, just, right. I, I mean, the, the point is why waste water on your slip and slide when we're not using these aborted fetuses anyway? Anyway, the vice principal of the school released a statement which basically said that the girl was a fuckwit liar, but of course she couldn't actually use the words fuckwit liar. But it's worth noting that. so many poses. <laughs> The, but uh, several of the other students sent pictures out of a, a list of phrases the teacher asked students not to use in class. Admittedly, bless you was among the list right, of, yeah. along with like, you know, stupid and dumb. So it's entirely possible that this teacher was broad-minded enough to realize that even in the Bible Belt, some students don't believe in God and would rather not have Jesus' permission to sneeze. The other possibility is that the Jesus freak chick was acting like a disruptive ass. And the third possibility, which Fox News is perfectly willing to present as fact, is that the teacher <laughs> is, in fact, the desolate one. Yes. Perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And in I Prefer Maplethorpe news, <laughs> Egyptian anti-Muslim women's rights activist Alia El-Mahdi outscathed the shit out of us and herself Literally, when she yeah. released her latest protest photograph depicting herself and another woman bleeding and defecating on an ISIS flag, respectively. <laughs> Not at all respectfully, though. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, sounds to me like these women are just doing their duty. <laughs> Indeed they are. In the very much NSFW photo, which 
can be viewed by following the link to the story on the show notes. Miss El Madi, naked and facing the camera, voluminously menstruates, read almost miscarries onto the ISIS flag, while the hijab-clad woman next to her, facing away, takes a shit and flips the bird. So, you, you know, go. elegant use of photographic mise-en-scene, if you ask me. <laughs> Regardless, you gotta love the work she's doing, so let's get involved, do a little brainstorming, help her out. Okay. All 30 right. seconds on the clock. Ideas for the excretionist protester. Go. Wow. 80 episodes in, we're deep reaching <laughs> deep into that bag. I'm advanced with it. All right. Um, well, this already has sort of a Lady Godiva thing going. Yeah, the shit. So you get Lady Godiva chocolates, um, but I recommend a brown horse for this, for this uh, go-round. <laughs> I was thinking this latest work should be titled... Uh, Shat on the ragheads. Oh, God. Shat on the ragheads. Shat on the ragheads. How about, uh, yeah, please repeat it several <laughs> times. It gets less racist every time you say it. Doesn't it? How about occupied Wall Street? <laughs> I was thinking the million brand march, but you need a lot more cans. <laughs> yeah, somebody could give the I have a stream speech. That'd be great. <laughs> you don't even want to know what they're going to put in the barrel of those guns when they get to the end of the march, though. That's, that's going to be pretty bad. <laughs> I was thinking maybe she starts a feminist, excretionist, Muslim, apostate protest rock band. Of course you were. That might shit and bleed on a flag. Yeah, right. So uh, <laughs> the red, white, and poo stripes, nice. I guess. <laughs> Obvious name for the Maybe the, uh, the menstrual minstrels. <laughs> minstrel cycles. Um, but uh, the pussy scat dolls. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, they, they had a couple of shart toppers, I do believe. I got to say, I was surprised when they passed number two. I didn't expect that. Um, about the bloody stool pigeons? No, no, no. no the uh, Ant Flow Rider. <laughs> um, how about a seminal fluid essay titled Drizzle Disobedience? <laughs> highbrow again. Yes, thank you. We're talking the highbrow a lot of jokes. jokes. And... That was right up there. All right. All right. One more. One more. I was thinking maybe what if she occupies an administration building or something? Um, although it's tough to get that many people to hold a – Hold a shit in. Uh, all right, maybe, yeah, maybe a bleed out sense. instead. Some oh, sort of bleed out event in protest. All right, well, I guess now that we've met our August menstrual blood poop joke quota, we can close the headlines out for the night. Heath, thanks as always. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> and when we come back, Dan Arrow will be here to expound on a few of the non-pedophile-related reasons to keep your children out of church. <laughs> A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It's a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massage. I'd like to start this week by throwing Arizona congressional candidate James Woods hat in the presidential ring for 2016. Woods, who identifies himself as an agnostic humanist, wrote the greatest response to an anti-abortion group in the history of movable type a couple weeks ago. And as if the letter itself wasn't brilliant enough, he included a condom to emphasize the point. When the group wrote to the Democratic candidate to ask about his views on legislation that helped to prevent abortion, he pointed to a number of such efforts that he supports, including comprehensive sex ed and the widespread availability of birth control. He went on to point out that the statistics that show that these two measures are far more effective at curbing abortion than standing outside clinics screaming like an asshole. And while it might still be a bit early in his political career to start talking about the White House, based on what I now know, I'd love to see James Woods joined by Woodrow Wilson, Andrew Johnson, and LBJ as the only presidents named after slang words for penis. With the honorable mention of Millard Fillmore and Franklin Pierce, of course. 
And from there, we moved to the Bizarro World version of him to Minnesota Republican congressional candidate Jim Hagedorn, whose congressional bid shit the bed when the racist, sexist, homophobic blog he wrote for several years surfaced in recent weeks. He deleted the blog in the run-up to his first election because in addition to being a xenophobe, he's also dumb enough to think that he can make incriminating stuff disappear from the internet by clicking unpublish. Come on now. His bigoted tirades were nothing if not thorough, spreading his witless screeds across a broad range of groups including women, gays, blacks, Latinos, and Native Americans. Because apparently he thinks we haven't fucked with the engines enough already. And finally tonight, creepy bastard and Montana resident William McDaniels was arrested last week after calling 911 to complain that a stripper was resisting his rape. The dancer reportedly cut a private dance short when McDaniels became, quote, sexually aggressive, end quote. At which point McDaniels called the police to report her frigidity. The cops, deftly realizing that we weren't in 12th century Europe and thus you weren't allowed to purchase women for money, promptly arrested McDaniels for soliciting prostitution. That's all I've got for you tonight, but until next week, I'd like us all to reflect on the fact that last week the reality show Dating Naked accidentally broadcast an unblurred vagina, and yet somehow our society has yet to fully collapse. Until next time. At long last, I reached the end of my five-part musical tribute to the Pentateuch with a song about the biblical testament to repetition that is... Do to Ronomies on me, I've gotta say, honestly, I'm not paying the Bible the attention I wanna be. It's long, it's dull, and it's so full of bull that the stress of the process is heard in my skull. I'm stumbling through, and I'm human. I got shit to do, man, can't study this thing. Like a Hasidic Jew can So I skim, I skip, I flip through and scan And I glance to the footnotes Here and there where I can But I'll admit I hit bits I don't get And I'm switched Should I study it further Or not give a shit After all, I'm no scholar And I got no white collar I'd trade biblical Knowledge for Somalian dollars Besides most verses are worthless They're the begats and the curses That God intersperses With no discernible purpose What's worse is the verses They don't read in the churches Not sure why they skip them though It'd make a hell of a service But I digress and I guess what I mean who expresses that no one who reads this thing knows what it says how could you why would you it do you no good you'd be memorizing things that no one understood true i guess there are a few with nothing better to do than obsess over passages pretending they're true but the incredulous rest of us stop listening at exodus we're bored and it's nebulous and among the effects of this are low comprehension and even lower retention so in hopes of prevention and to hold your attention 
Moses proposes verboseness. He knows us. He rightly supposes we'll be losing our focus. So Deuteronomy is a colloquy that restates all the policies that God laid down earlier about sex and idolatry. A dishonest anthology that restates the chronology and explains the pathology of Jewish theology. The gist, if you missed it, is that when God gets pissed, it will likely consist of him swinging his fist. He insists he exists, and if his laws are dismissed, you'll be reaping his vengeance. And he offers a list goes like this. He'll curse your cities and your countries and your baskets and your bowl. Curse your children and your vineyard and your cattle and your soul. Cause your enemy to rise before you, sword and bloody hand. Curse your coming, curse your going, drive you screaming from the land. He'll send to you disaster, he'll frustrate your every whim. He'll cover you in leprosy from limb to fucking limb. He'll inflate you with consumption, inflammation, heat and drought, turn the ground below to iron, so no vegetables can sprout. Your corpse will be a meal for every creature on the earth, and your wife will eat your children and her bloody afterbirth. The Lord will give you boils, also scurvy, and the itch will be abused and robbed and helpless, and your home will be a ditch. Begrudging food to your own brother and to the wife that you embrace. You'll be a pariah to your people, he'll remove you from his grave. You'll starve and over water, screw up everything you touch Because the Lord is wonderful and loves you very much Because the Lord is wonderful And He loves you all very much Very excited to welcome our next guest to the show Dan Errol is a freelance journalist and a secular activist That's written for Slate, Alternet, The Huffington Post, American Atheist Magazine The Richard Dawkins Foundation and more and most recently, he's released his first book, Parenting Without God, which you can find with a handy link on the show notes for this week's episode. Dan, welcome to The Scathing Atheist. Yeah, thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. Now, obviously, I asked John to talk about your new book, and I fully intend to do that. But before we do, would you mind filling us in on the story that you recently broke with regards to Ken Ham's testament to credulity? Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, a lot of people know this. Ken Ham is trying to open up a theme park based on uh, Noah's Ark because nothing makes a better theme park than mass genocide. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he had applied, it's a for-profit business he's starting, which is, a, which is much different from Answers in Genesis, which was a non-profit. And uh, by doing this, it lets them try to take advantage of different tax incentives and, you know, business opportunities in the area. Right. And so one they applied for was a tourist incentive, which is an $18 million uh, basically like a refund on your taxes automatically in your first year of business. And okay. So I looked at that and thought it seemed weird that a religious organization was getting a, you know, a tax break. Right. And, and looking into it more, not only did it seem fishy and that they were kind of skirting around laws to get by, I then noticed that they were discriminating against employees that they were hiring for the Ark Encounter which a for-profit business in the United States cannot do. Right. Now, you literally called him on this, though, right? Uh, yeah, I actually went on a radio show that he was a guest on and called him out live on air for doing this, as well as in an article, a couple articles and on Twitter, mm -hmm. I've called him out for this discrimination, and he flat out denies it exists. Well, even to the point of hanging up on you on the uh, radio, yeah. <laughs> I, I recommend I'll, I'll put a link to uh, to the audio for that too, because I recommend that anybody who hasn't heard that uh, listen to him stutter and, and flounder there. Ever since I called out uh, Ken Ham and showed evidence, he's refused to even speak to me. 
Really? That's yep. not surprised. <laughs> well, I wouldn't worry about too much. If you ever got a straight answer out of Ken Ham, you'd have been the first. So uh, <laughs> let's shift gears here, talk a little bit about your new book. I can't tell you how often I get emails from atheists asking for advice dealing with their kids. Right? How do I properly tenderize them? What kind of seasonings do I use? What kind of wine goes best with newborn? And finally, I have a book of recipes I can point them towards. So why an infanticidal cookbook, Dan? <laughs> uh, because I was tired of grabbing you know getting a hold of 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 a newborn and just not knowing what to do with it you overcook it they're not you know they're expensive yeah absolutely uh, absolutely now of course i'm kidding here your book's not about uh braising children rather it's about raising children so uh, the obvious first question for you is what separates your book from the 16 trillion parenting books currently available <laughs> uh well you can narrow it down from the 16 uh trillion parenting books to the few that are about uh, atheism, religion, et cetera. And then from there, you know, I looked at the books that are out there for atheist parents or secular parents. And I mean, if, if anyone's familiar with Dale McGowan, they know he's done just an awesome job mm -hmm. and he's written some great books. Uh, but his are very focused on the secularism and they're good for both sides of the aisle where you can have uh, even Christians that are, very, very left-leaning and not fundamentalist could read a Dale McGowan book and say, oh, this makes a lot of sense. I'll use a lot of this. But I always felt like there was something lacking for the hardcore atheist, the outspoken atheist that just despises everything there is to despise about religion and doesn't want their kid to grow up wrapped up in that world. Or, you know, and so I was, I was thinking one day, well, that's great and all, but I, the last thing I want to do is indoctrinate my kid. Right. Now, that's a common refrain that I hear from secular parents. That, you know, I don't want to force my beliefs on my kids the way my parents force their beliefs on me. And that's always struck me as odd because I do feel like there's a bit of a difference between forcing one's belief or indoctrinating versus just being truthful. So you, you think that's a valid concern for parents? Um, it can be. And I think the, the concern where it comes in is when someone says like something about your kid's religion or something, you go, oh, he's an atheist. That gotcha. is the point where it's, you know, I would, con I condemn parents and say, oh, you know, this is my three-year-old. He's mm -hmm. a Catholic. Right. He's not right. a Catholic. He doesn't know what Catholic is. Uh, and so I think parents, and, and it becomes like a weird, you know, where are you supposed to land? What are you supposed to say? Where aren't you supposed to say? So I decided to take the approach of, how to teach your child about religion, even about atheism, about uh, community, about, I mean, pretty much everything. I covered race, sexual orientation, and just how to kind of teach it with a critical thinking mind and more fact-based so that the kid just forms their own conclusion. Right, right. It seemed like one of the main themes was that uh, your kid is likely to reach atheism if they're given all the same tools that you and I use to get there, critical thinking, skepticism, love for science. So what advice generally can you offer for instilling those kind of values day to day? Uh, the biggest one I generally go with is questioning everything. Don't necessarily just tell them everything because then they're not really getting it. Right. And then you kind of lead them in that direction. And that just forms that kind of way of thinking later in life. And I think, you know, for most of us atheists, that kind of thinking is what led us to where we are. Yeah, yeah. I think most of us would agree it's not about teaching them what to think, but rather how to think. Exactly. Now, for most uh, atheist parents, I would imagine that the religious questions start even before the kid's born. 
you know, grandma and grandpa want to make sure that the kid's going to be baptized or christened or, God forbid, circumcised. So what, what advice can you offer on dealing with the extended religious family? How do you make your wishes known to them? You have to simply tell them. Uh, there's no easy way to skirt around it or uh, think like, oh, I don't want to offend my, my dear old grandma who, you know, she's, she's only got a few years left. I don't want to send her to the grave early by telling her we're not baptizing our kid. But right. it's not as traumatic as people think it is. My own grandparents asked if we were baptizing our son. I said no. And they were, you know, big gasp. But what, what if? Right. And, but then my, my comeback immediately was, well, then do I need to baptize them in every religion that there is just in case? Do I need to go through every last ritual? Because we're going to be doing this for a while. Yeah. And, no you know, they're so set that theirs is correct that, you know, they didn't, they, they thought that idea was just silly. Why would I ever do all the other ones when they have the one true religion? But, uh, you know, they've, they've posed Pascal's wager to me a million times. Right. You know, why not have the insurance just in case? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. You know, it just had to come down to me sitting down and saying, look, he's not going to grow up religious. You're not allowed to talk to him about your religion without me present or with my, without my permission. You're not allowed to send him religious gifts. I don't want you sending him Bibles or anything like that unless you've talked to me first. Because I'm not against him having a Bible and reading it with me and learning about what the Bible is. That'll make an atheist out of him. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't get to run that show. Right. So it seems to me like you're saying, like, basically, hey, there's a lot of stuff about parenting that's tough. And this is just one of those tough things that you have to do for the sake of your kid. Exactly. I mean, no matter what kind of parent you are or what parenting method you use, parenting is hard. Right. You know, my mom's religious, mm -hmm. but she I barely had to talk to her about it. She knew right away. She knows where I land and she would never think about crossing that line. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't exactly trust my grandparents in that sense where they're going to uh, find a way to cross that line. And right. they just had to know if, look, if you cross it, you're going to run the risk of losing interaction with your grandchild. Right. Right. Now that that's a threat that I think would work. Well, I, I don't want to characterize it as a threat, but uh, yeah. now it, it seems to me, you know, obviously in a lot of ways, religion is designed to be particularly effective with kids, the, the, the carrots and sticks they use, especially the fear-based ones. You, you had some pretty choice words in the book about the concept of hell. I believe your exact words were downright mental child abuse. Now, I would say some people, excluding myself, might accuse you of hyperbole there. Do you mean that literally? Do you think teaching your kid about hell is, is child abuse? Not in – I mean, I don't want to, like, soften, you know, actual physical child abuse when I, right. when I use those words. But – you know, I, I, st I was studying it a lot and I found so many resources for people to reach out to, to recover, uh, mentally, like therapy sessions to recover from the idea of hell. And it started to dawn on me that if this many people are seeking counseling because hell has scared them to that extent, mm -hmm. that there is some form of mental child abuse going on in there that can, like I put unnecessary pressure on a child and it's, it's a scary thought. I mean, if you really think about it, if you're a kid who thinks that every little thing you do wrong could result in you burning and being tortured forever, yeah. that can weigh on you. And I was lucky where my parents were more of the liberal religious type where it would take a lot to get you sent to hell. Just a couple sins. Even if you didn't ask for forgiveness, weren't going to get you sent to hell. Mm -hmm. Just be the best person you can be. And you would make it to heaven. 
Yeah, but not everybody follows but that. Not right? everybody follows that. And when you let go of the religion, people seem to think like, you know, I became an atheist and all this weight came off my shoulders. Where it does, but it's not usually immediate. Right. It's not like you go, oh, wait, there's no God. And then every fear you've ever had is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, these things linger and it takes time to unlearn them and to, to realize like, oh, you know what? I just, you know, cut that person off and gave him the finger. Maybe that wasn't the right thing to do, but I'm not going to be punished for it. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> well, now, you, you spoke earlier about dealing with the, the grandparents and the aunts and uncles and stuff, but there are a lot of people, of course, that your kids are going to react or interact with, rather, that you're not going to be able to have this conversation with, you know, teachers, students, friends, etc. So how can you insulate your, your, your kids against the kind of stuff that they're definitely going to encounter when they're, you know, when they go to school or, or when they're interacting with their friends? You know, it's not really about insulating them because they're going to be out there and you don't want to shelter them from the world that they live in. Mm-hmm. But it's it's about talking to the kid at that point. So you send a kid to a, a party or a friend's house for dinner. When they come home, ask them, you know, don't grill them, but ask them what they talked about at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Just talk to them. Uh, you don't have to, you don't have to lead. You don't need to be like, well, did they talk about this person named God? Like, but just find out what they're talking about because if they're not mentioning it back to you, it probably wasn't something that really stuck with them. Now, if they are staying over someone's house on a Saturday, you can kind of get around and ask the uh, parents what they're doing for Sunday. Right. Because, you know, they might just, they might not, without even thinking that they're doing something wrong, wake up and take the whole family to church. And that includes your kids that's staying over. Yeah. You know, and if you do find out that, you know, one of their friend's parents is bringing up the subject a lot, I would say before you make that decision, you know, you're not allowed to go over there anymore. You know, pull up your, pull up your pants and, and walk over there and talk to the parents. And, right. you know, it's a tough, it's a tough conversation to have, but have it and say, you know, look, my kids coming over here, they really like each other. Uh, but my son's mentioned a few times or my daughter that you've brought up religion or that you brought up, you know, your faith. You know, I respect that you're, you have that, but. We don't, and I would I would appreciate it if you didn't bring that up around my child anymore. And at that point, it's up to them. And I would imagine that most religious parents are per- pretty reasonable about that. I, you know, I, I, obviously they wouldn't want you telling their kid uh, why Pascal's wager is bullshit. So I, I would think that most people would be sympathetic to that point. I think so, and I think it's all going to depend on on you know at what point in their religion they are. Are they fundamentalists? Are they liberal? You know, it just depends on where they land. You're going to get different reactions, I think. Right. But it's not something that you can shy away from because if you just let it go, then these people are going to get to your child, which is the, what they want. And they're going to say, you know, this is true. And your your kids are going to listen to what adults say. So now, so from what I'm taking from you, if, you're, if your kid comes home and says, you know, I want to go to this Bible study thing or this youth night at the church, you're not automatically going to reject that. Uh, not automatically. Uh, it will, those kind of decisions are really dependent on age, mm-hmm. number one. Like, if they go sit down and listen to this, how are they going to take it in? Certain trips, uh, would I be allowed to go? If, you know, if it's the kid doesn't want me to go because he's embarrassed, his dad right. wants to go, that's a different. But if I reached out to the church and said, hey, you guys are going on a trip, I'd like to come. And they said no. Yeah. You know, red, red flag. That's right. It. Right. Uh, if the family, if the parents of the of the kids said, you know, we're going to take the family to this thing. And I say, I want to go and they don't want me to go. You know, red flag. Uh, or if, they, if you just feel like your kid's too young, 
you can say, I mean, it's not wrong to say you can't go to that because I don't think you're old enough. Right. Because what's going to happen is they're going to go and they're going to have all these things taught to them. And it's going to be this glorified, you know, reward and this, this scary hell. And they're going to sell these kids on this big thing. And you're going to have that limited time afterwards to talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. But that's still going to be mulling in their head. And they have to be prepared to handle that kind of stuff. And so if you don't think your child is ready for it, don't let them go. Because that's what they're looking for. They're ready to prey on your kid. Oh, absolutely. And they're not, they're not above using video games and pizza to get them there and keep them there either. So now there are some challenges I feel like that a secular parent faces that an atheist or a, rather that a religious parent won't face as much. For example, you know, obviously because you'll go to hell is a lot easier than a rational explanation. But on the flip side, you know, Fluffy's in hamster heaven. Uh, is a hell of a lot easier than, no, you're never going to see your hamster again. So do you think the job of a secular parent is, is necessarily harder than that of a religious parent? Yeah, I think it's trickier because you don't have the kind of easy fallbacks. You know, the hamster dies, grandma dies, uh, mm -hmm. even a friend in school dies. You know, and it can be very tricky to navigate that when, especially if their friends are telling them, Right. You know, oh, so-and-so is in heaven or so-and-so is there. And they go, what's that? And then they ask you. And then, so, you know, so even some people will put the idea in their head that, oh, you're going to see them later. Right. But then they kind of get hit with your reality that they're not. And I think it's a great opportunity to kind of talk about life itself and how lucky we are to be here. Mm -hmm. Discuss, you know, just the sheer improbability that you happen to be here. Because there's so many other people could have been here in your place just by calculating the amount of, you know, DNA combinations that could have been created, but yours is here and enjoy it. And then when it's over, it's over. And if they're old enough to understand, I, I kind of like the concept of, you know, saying like, well, do you remember what 1845 was like? Right. And they're going to say, well, no. And say, well, that's what, you know, life after is like, it's just, you, you don't know. And it's a hard thing to wrap your head around, and it doesn't really work well on little kids. But I think just being honest, don't don't try to sugarcoat it or make it sound more prettier than it is. Just be honest that we have this awesome lifespan. It, when it ends, it's, it ends. You're not suffering. You're not sad. You're not, you're, you know, there's nothing there. You don't need to be afraid of it. Just go with it and enjoy. Instead of worrying about that, just enjoy every day that you have. Well said, sir. Well said. Well, I had a couple other questions, but I want to close on that because that was just uh, that was downright inspiring. So uh, once more, the book is called Parenting Without God. It's available as a paperback or an ebook on Amazon and other fine retailers. If you want to save yourself the search bar effort, you'll find a link to the uh, book on the show notes for episode 80 at skatingatheist.com. Dan, thanks again so much for your time and for all the work you're doing. Thank you very much for having me on. It's time for the part of the show that comes next, listener feedback. This is the part of the show that has an intro. Our first email comes from virtually every cop who listens to the show, all of whom wrote in to complain about Noah's R2-D2 joke in last week's episode. Yeah, yeah. So a quick attempt to milk another laugh out of the joke under the auspices of getting you up to speed. I was commenting on the Mike Brown shooting in Ferguson, and I suggested that perhaps the cop thought he had raised his hands to signal his astro droid to launch him a, a lightsaber. <laughs> and then I tacked down the line... Because otherwise, that would be cold-blooded murder, right? 
Yeah, yeah, and it was mostly that exact line that filled up the inbox. So. Yeah, a lot of people come into the cops' defense. Well, not, not a lot of people. Some people uh, pointing out that all the facts aren't in. He shouldn't be tried in the media. He's innocent until proven guilty, etc. You know, okay, all all fair, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but Michael Brown is dead until proven innocent, right? And, and then still dead if yes. that was to happen. Exactly, guilty or innocent. So well, let's just you know context, right? But now the only really valid point that I'll apologize for is that one of our listeners pointed out that it's entirely possible in an instance like this for an officer to get scared, whatever, freak out. Act in error without malice. I, I don't know how okay. likely that is, but I'll grant that it's possible, and possible. I'll do so with the admission that. You know, I'm a podcaster. When I fuck up, there is zero chance of somebody getting killed. So for that, I do offer an apology. Cold-blooded murder was definitely the wrong term to use there. Okay, yes. Hot-blooded at worst, really. (laughs) Right, right. No, that's a good point. Error, but without malice. But that means the cop unmaliciously, but still very much intentionally, shot an unarmed person multiple times, including one in the forehead. That's less bad, but still kind of a big deal, no? right. Also, I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to repeat this. How is a taser or, I don't know, anything but a lethal headshot not the required protocol of a police officer uh, in that situation? I don't know. Exactly. And and that kind of brings us to what I want to talk about, the, the notion that we should withhold judgment until all the facts are in. Because all the facts will never be in. What's more, there is no subject on which one has ever held an opinion for which all the facts were in. It's not even <laughs> possible. Now, as a skeptic, the important thing isn't that we refuse to form an opinion in the absence of complete evidence. It's that we allow our opinions to be swayed by future evidence. And based on all the currently available evidence, I would submit that it's perfectly reasonable to assume that this dude fucked up something fierce and a kid died because of it. So like I said, I'm not on the jury here. I'm not convicting him. I'm stating a tentative position based on the available evidence. Exactly. And what does it matter how the media tries this guy considering they don't do any sentencing? I mean, it's – and by the way, there's an entire swath of media outlets out there doing their best to try Michael Brown for thuggery as part of this thing, too. So yeah, exactly. Right. Stuff going on both ways. Now, I do want to offer a mea culpa for, for, for that and actually for this extended discussion of it on the feedback segment because, you know, honestly, probably shouldn't have brought up this contentious issue to begin with. I honestly didn't expect. You know, that when cops fired rubber bullets and tear gas at peaceful protesters and then pointed automatic weapons at them, this would be a contentious thing. I thought that was one of the times we would set (laughs) aside our partisan differences and say, well, hey, that's pretty fucked up. But look, this this show is about atheism. It's not about police overreach. I I don't want to derail the point of the show by getting into my opinions on shit like the Mike Brown shooting. So like I said in – the book, Diatribes Volume 150, Essays from a Godless Misanthrope, available on Amazon and other fine ebook retailers. This show isn't really about what I think about things. It's an attempt to give a, a voice to our audience, and when I deviate too much from that, I usually get us in trouble. For, so for that, I, I am sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. We also got an email from Chester who wanted to thank us for covering the story last week about J-dubs shunning their own families when they run afoul of the church's dogma. Chester writes, quote, A lot of people are under the mistaken impression that Jehovah's Witnesses are mostly harmless outside of the blood transfusion thing, but the despicable doctrines of disfellowship are among the worst of any major religious denomination, and I applaud you for shining some light on it, end quote. Okay, so, so thanks. thanks a lot for the email, absolutely, but I question the premise that a lot of people think Jehovah's Witnesses are mostly harmless. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm pretty sure that even most contri- Christians consider them to be amongst the crazy fucks. I, I could be wrong. Again, tentative position based on the evidence I've seen so far, but... <laughs> I'd rather have a big bad wolf on the front porch made of straw. Right. (laughs) So 
And finally, we also got an email from Damon, who was recently asked to swear an oath to Christ Zeus in court. So the bailiff or whoever says the whole, do you swear to tell the truth, whole truth, no, yada, yada, yada. So help you God, to which Damon said, I object to the use of the word God, to which the bailiff just rephrased the exact same thing, only left out, so help you God. Yes, many of us are fully capable of entire truths without deity assistance. So, you know, Who'd have thunk it? Skip that part. So, yeah, so Damon's question was twofold. First, why the fuck do they even throw God in there if they're willing to leave him out on request? But second, and far more top ten worthy, is whether there's an atheist equivalent to So Help You, God. So, to my knowledge, there isn't, and that seems like exactly the kind of problem that we can fix here on this show. That's what we do. So here are our top ten suggestions on atheist-friendly terms that could replace So Help Me, God, at the end of Do You Swear to Tell the Truth, the Whole Truth, and Nothing But the Truth? I'm sorry, Your Honor. The, the two truths. What okay, the hell excellent, is a truth? Excellent. I like it. <laughs> um, number ten. And Nothing But the Truth, in accordance with observational history. <laughs> It's like a compromise. Um, how about nothing but the truth, like it ain't no thing. <laughs> Give it a little, make it a little eight. jazzy. If you do not have magical consequences, a court-appointed moral compass will be provided for you. <laughs> how about just so help yourself? <laughs> so help me help you. Help me <laughs> help you. How about the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, or risk the curse of the were spider? <laughs> Or you have to say it like a pirate, though, probably. Yeah, that helps. Uh, all right. Uh, number four. Do you swear to tell us what that Christian truth teller over there would say is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help him God. Or we could say, we could just make it simple. How about just, or what? You going to tell us the truth or what? <laughs> number two. To avoid burns, please don't touch the Bible directly. Atheist. <laughs> And number one, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, as though you would tell us if you were going to fucking lie anyway? What's the point of any of that? <laughs> and that's all the feedback you get. If you want more, keep the emails, tweets, and Facebook messages coming. You'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingadiast.com. Before we jiggle the handle tonight, I want to wish the best of luck to my fellow participants in this year's Fantasy Football League of Sinister Secularists. Good luck to reigning champion Cecil from Cognitive Dissonance, reigning third-place finisher Mark Nebo from the Raw Men podcast, reigning honorable mention postseason participant Heath Enright, reigning Omega Dog Carl from Post-Rapture Looting, reigning other players Bill and Susie from Barroom Atheist, Sean from Bill and Susie's Genetic Material, Thomas from Atheistically Speaking, and Evan from The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, as well as new participants this year, Ben from Post-Rapture Looting, David from Atheist Hangouts, and Wesley from Atheist Nomads. That's all the blasphemy we have for you this week, but if you want more, damn is there more. I have been a total podcast whore this week. You can catch me on the most recent episode of The Herd Mentality with Adam Reeks reprising my role of Joel Osteen. I also participated in a damn interesting discussion on morality with Tracy Harris from The Atheist Experience, which you can hear on the most recent episode of Atheist on Air with Cash and Professor Stephen. And tonight I'll be guest hosting with David Viviano on Atheist Hangouts. We'll be chatting with Stephen Wells, annotator of the Skeptics Annotated Bible. You can catch that live on Google Hangouts, or you can catch it later on YouTube. You'll find links to all of these appearances on the show notes for this episode at scathingatheist.com. Also, if you'd like MP3 copies of all the songs that we've ever put on this show, you can get them if you sign up to support the show on a per-episode basis at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash scathingatheist. I'll be posting the whole album's worth of music this weekend. Of course, I can't close the show without thanking Heath for continuing to lead the way in new shit joke technology. I need to thank the lovely Lucinda for adding 
tailoring her unique charm to the program once again this week. Obviously, I need to thank Dan Arrow for joining us this week and providing this week's Farnsworth quote. Once again, you can find a link to buy his new book on the show notes for this episode as well. Considering how many emails we get about secular parenting, I'd say quite a few of you could benefit from his research and his hard work. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's sexiest secularists, Tony, Derek, Austin, Matthew, Dennis, John, Tristan, and William. Tony, Derek, and Austin, whose intelligence is only quantifiable because they figured out a way to quantify it. Matthew, Dennis, and John, who forced me to rethink the whole heterosexuality thing. And Tristan and William, who were recently named the first four entrants into the Testicular Hall of Fame. Together, this octet of altruism have earned secular sainthood this week by giving us money. Giving us money is heroically orgasmic and a way too profound to express with mere words. If you'd like to experience it for yourself, though, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash atheist, where you can get bonus content, books, slightly longer episodes, slightly earlier, and more. You can also make a one-time donation by clicking the donate button on our homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help us out but you spent your discretionary budget avoiding a bucket full of ice, you can also help us a ton by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you prefer to leave five-star reviews. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at skatingatheist.com. All the music used in this episode was written and performed by yours truly, and yes, I did have my permission. Yeah, I'm I pretty, thought that was a good good on one. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked with that take actually.